0: Secrets
1: of the Sire. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Secrets of the Sire. We do this every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, streaming live through Sire Studios. We are on YouTube.com slash Secrets of the Sire. And... Facebook.com slash Secrets of the Sire as well. Uh, We have a great show tonight. Captain Marvel soars at the box office, but is it any good? We review the latest Marvel Studios chapter and give you the skinny on this feminist-driven film. Plus, we welcome Madonna and the Breakfast Club's Paul Castro Jr. on to talk about the film. And Chris Arendt from Newsarama comes by to do what we love doing every week, which is spin those racks. As always, I'm your host, Michael Dolce, and I am joined by my co-host, uh, recovering co-host from a terrible, terrible stomach virus, Mr. Hassan Godwin, Lord of the Radio. How are you doing, sir?
0: I'm doing better, thank you. That's thank good. You I, I
1: like I like better. We were, you know, in <laughs> danger of just hearing me tonight, and uh, we don't <laughs> want. <that. laughs> Well I you didn't will want agree to... with myself the entire time.
0: Yeah, and that's and then the show just goes nowhere at that point. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I completely well I'm here to disagree with just about everything you say, including good evening. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, for I, obvious reasons.
1: <laughs> I am so cool part, uh sometimes we talk before shows, sometimes we don't. You were obviously incapacitated, so we didn't get a chance to talk. That's um great. I'm really super curious to know your take on Captain Marvel. I know what my take is. Uh, I know what my review is going to be. And I'm just so curious if, if we are going to actually do what is best for the show and disagree. Or if we genuinely are going to agree on a couple different points. I know we're going to disagree on one point. Um, uh-huh. Because I'm going I'm to make us disagree on that. But uh, there's <laughs> one point. But overall, I'm curious. So give me your take on Captain Marvel.
0: Um, it was, uh, I thought it was a good movie. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed Brie Larson. I enjoyed Sam Jackson. Uh, uh, you know the 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 scrolls. It was good to see the scrolls in how how they would be done in real life. I think that's the first time we've ever got a depiction of the scrolls. That is correct in, in live action. So yep. that was that was pretty that was pretty amazing. It's good to see the um the Guardians of the Galaxy universe again. You know, yeah. I know I know Marvel wants to make a uh, a, a big push towards that for phase four. So, you know, and they they're, should. They're, yeah, I, I agree. Um, unfortunately I agree with you. Um <laughs> I it's a very cookie cutter movie. It's a very cookie oh, cutter superhero yeah. movie. Um I will say and I hate this expression, mm-hmm. there were some cringy moments. There were a few cringy moments. There weren't any there weren't Enough of them for me to decide the entire movie was like a schlock, mm-hmm. cringe thing, um, and I don't know. See, here's here's my problem with the film. I don't know how much of it was the film, mm-hmm. and how much of it was me just kind of tired of the overpowered superhero uh, trope, like the Superman, yeah, and uh, you know the Wonder Woman, and you know these 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 beings that you know they take, they're, they're reluctant or they have some kind of uh, some kind of uh, mental block that's stopping them from being the you know from reaching their full potential and yeah. then you know towards the end of whatever story they they've overcome this block and they you know they, they branch out and you know end up destroying entire fleets of, of starships or uh, you know or you know killing doomsday yeah. or killing the god of war so i don't know how much of it is this was done um, very in a very mediocre manner yeah. or how much of it is just me tired of that trope in general. But, uh, you know, uh, there, I'm going to tell, right tell you
1: right now, I'm going to tell you right now, it's probably the former um, because my take on this movie was, it was average at best. It wasn't a bad movie. It was not a great movie. It had some nice little moments in it. I'll break down exactly why I didn't like it as compared to, as much as compared to other films in the MCU.
0: Okay.
1: But just, you know, from my initial reaction, there is no reason this film should be doing the kind of business at the box office based solely on the merits of the film itself. It's not a Guardians of the Galaxy where the film, you actually went there and you're like, wow, this is something completely new and different. This is Marvel taking chances. This is Marvel – kind of doing something we've never seen before. This is not an instance where the character itself, you know, anybody that was trying to, you know, take down Black Panther, Black Panther has a history as a character, okay? It has a storyline as a character. It has a lot of what it does uh, or what it brought to the table prior to actually going into the film is enough to make it a draw. No, people are going to see this movie just despite the people that were trying to tank the movie, I, I, there's no other explanation for it. There's a, definitely a feminist uh, wave and a feminist drive, and it's capitalizing on it. And I think there's a danger to it being. We're living in a dangerous time right now where marketing is working, but it's not the reasons. We had a very quick conversation offline before we started talking. And we were saying it how diversity works and it brings people in. And I said, that's great, but I don't think it's working in the noble intentions that it's, that it's out there to be. The noble intention of diversity, the noble intention of a female driven superhero is hey, these would be really great things. These are great representations of, of, of uh, people that are out there, what the world looks like, and we want that. And we do. The, the, there's, the nobility of it is that. But now you just simply have two. Ever-dividing sides keep pushing further and further, and one just keeps spiting the other. Because there's no way Captain Marvel as a character has the history. Captain Marvel's most interesting part as a comic book character was that she got her powers absorbed by Rogue in the comics, right? I mean, that was essentially, you know, Captain Marvel. It does have, look, it does have the benefit, and and I'm willing to say maybe this is the reason I'm hoping this is, I'm really hoping this is the reason that it's the bridge movie, between Infinity War and Endgame, and people are are hungry for for this um, chapter in the story. But is the film actually worth, you know, I mean, would I be sitting there saying it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen? No, it's fun. Like you said, I I think it's fun. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with it. But if I'm grading this, I'm grading this slightly above Ant-Man. I'm grading this slightly above Ant-Man 2. Uh, probably grading Ant-Man above Ant-Man 2, because you know I had a lot of problems with Ant-Man 2. I'm not putting this anywhere near. Like, Black Panther was a cultural phenomenon. It built off of everything I just talked about, and it was really freaking good. Like, it was really good, you know? Uh, I use my dad as my barometer, and I'll continue to do so. You know, he fell asleep during half this movie in Captain Marvel. He literally fell asleep. Part of it was he was also a little sick, but uh, but overall, he kind of walked out very underwhelmed. Black Panther, he walked out going, wow. You know, and, and he was blown away. Into the Spider-Verse, you know, he was awake during the whole thing. And he was like, he, he walked away. He's like, wow, I, I, I didn't think, uh, you know, I didn't know what, what to expect. I thought this was going to be another Spider-Man movie, and I wasn't really excited to see this. But wow. Captain Marvel, were like, yeah, the cat was cool. Uh, you know, dude, that boy, that de-aging technology is something else, right? There was a lot of he things. Didn't
0: even, he didn't even really look that young. Although Sam Jackson never looked young. He's never, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's no, never he, been a little,
1: His face <laughs> was a little squished a little bit, but whatever, maybe that's Sam Jackson when he was 20. Who knows? Uh, Coulson actually looked pretty good young. Yeah. He, he did a he nice did job, with job with him. him. But there's a, there's a lot of stuff here. And, uh, and I pulled this article from New York Times. I thought this was a, a really interesting thing. When Captain Marvel became a target, the rules changed. And they talk about how people were flooding, and we've talked about this on the show, We're flooding Rotten Tomatoes, trying to, trying to bring it down. And this is, again, based off of things like Last Jedi and Black Panther and, and, and so on. And they completely changed the rules to prevent this kind of stuff from happening. They, changed, they got rid of the not interested. Uh, you know, yeah, well, interested, that's, just, not that's, interested. Just,
0: that's just protecting your business, though, isn't yeah. it? Like, that's just, that's just commercial uh, savvy. To, if, if, if you have a loophole in, your, in your, uh, your business model that allows people to spam your, your site and yes. use your site as a fulcrum to take yes. down other movies, yes. then you've got to get in front of that really quick, or else nobody's going to be using your, your site anymore, you know?
1: Uh, I 100% it- agree with you. But likewise, and I guess that's my point in general, is now you have people flooding the box office
0: well, okay. essentially, spamming the box office. Yeah, thing. I get, I get that, and I can, I can kind of see that. I think it's a little cynical, but I, but again, probably true. Um, because the other side of it is like, if that worked, then that that, that means there is a market for it. Like the biggest argument was if there was no market for for uh, uh, for Captain Marvel, right? That that women. Ah, uh, don't go to see comic book movies. Right. They're not in, you know, and that there were enough. And this is always. I've I've always thought this was an arrogant statement from other men that sure. there are enough. There were enough. uh you know, female cast, strong female characters. Right. In previous iterations, and and you know, as a man, we can't possibly say that. You know, no, we can't, no, and we I don't.
1: I don't think there. I don't think that's the case. I think. No. I think if you can come out with something good, it doesn't matter.
0: Exactly. Right. But, but yeah. But I mean, the argument about it is and then, you know, they inflated another argument. I mean, there was a there was Brie Larson's comments, which may or may not have been, uh, you know, advisable, you know, in, in a way she said it. Uh, although I have other feelings about that also. Um, and then those are blown out of proportion. To be something that they completely weren't. So. I don't know if you can you can you call it a troll if you're or, or spam if you're going to the movie despite the reactions of of the people who are, who, who refuse to go but to the you movie just
1: said like you just said the the you know the argument is is that women don't go to see these movies and and their argument is like well you got to make them and we'll go see them but but actually history before this decade actually backs that up they didn't have you know they didn't have that now you have people going there fired up because people told them no so again is there a market or is there simply a
0: i think there is a market backlash and i think that i think i think there is a market and i think that brings us to another previous conversation that we've had about whether the marketing for that market is correct because i don't think if the marketing had made such a big deal about this being a feminist piece Mm -hmm. would you have gotten the, the feminist, uh, you know, revolution. No, you would not have.
1: No, you would not have. And Mar- Marvel's smart, right? Marvel, is, Marvel doesn't go out there and say, you know, this is a feminist movie, go see it. I mean, they leave it up to Brie Larson. Here's some of her quotes. Uh, you know, she had spoken, she had said on Entertainment Tonight, she had spoken with Marvel about making the film a big feminist movie. In another interview, she said that after noticing that most of her interviewers in the past had been white and male, she vowed to seek out more underrepresented journalists, including Kia Brown, who's black and disabled. Miss Larson uh, had previously lashed out against the homogeneity. Oh boy, I can't read today. A professional.
0: Homogeneity?
1: Yeah, that doesn't seem like a real word to me. Uh, professional film critics. I do not need a 40 year old white dude to tell me what didn't work for him about a wrinkle in time. It wasn't made for him. See, I, I don't. See, that's such, a, that's such a, a funny argument, right? People always mm. say, well, this movie wasn't made for you. But meanwhile, if we want to go out and make a movie that's not made for them, well, it's not fair, you know. It doesn't work both ways when you say things like that, you know. There's um, there's, there's definitely
0: some some hypocrisy. I think, I, yeah, like but I think I I think if you had if if from her perspective, if you had a if you had representation across the board who were reviewing movies and stuff like that, then you could get to a point where you could say this movie wasn't made for these guys, and I can see why they didn't like it, you know. And so. And then, and then you could have, like, a whole bunch of, like, you know, for the lack of a better term, mm-hmm. a whole bunch of white guys saying, this movie wasn't for us, or we didn't like it. And, we didn't like this, we didn't like that, and we didn't like this other thing. But since there is no cross-the-board representation of, of any other demographic other than the white man, sure. when he says this movie is no good, he's speaking for everyone. You know, he's, sub- he's suddenly reflecting okay. the, the opinions of everyone. And it's like, well, no, there's a... There's a, there's a demographic out there that this movie does speak to and um, you, can, you can argue uh, whether internationally it, mm-hmm. was, it was a success or it should have happened internationally sure. because it only speaks to a small subset of society, but you can't say it was worthless. Because there is a group of people who actually do like it. It's what happens when we get cult followings. We get cult movies. But isn't like that? I mean, isn't flavoring? that the whole
1: idea of the critic itself? Is to, is to pick apart a movie's structure and executions to understand what the purpose of the movie is and how well it executes said purpose, and then review review that execution. I mean, if you're if you're gonna tell me. This is where it gets really dangerous. And I, I, I don't like where we're headed with this. I, I actually was re- watching Bill Maher recently. Uh, you know, his negative, his, neg- his negative comments about comics got me watching his show again. <laughs> you know, and he's right though. He says everything, everything on social media is there for a click. And it doesn't matter what side you're on. It's, it's, yeah. it's let me say something. It's all monetized. And it's not just monetized. It's, it's also about like reinforcing someone and they'll say something. And this is his quote, not mine. There are 71 genders out there. Fight me. And then, you, and then your, yeah, your natural reaction is then to click on that and to engage in that. And then whatever, it's setting you up to be wrong no matter what you say because of how that is, that is pointed out. That's, what he, that's the example he used. On. Isn't that
0: that guy, that, that, that white-wing guy, uh, what's his name, Crawley or something like that, who's like, you know, uh, changed my mind? He, had a, he, he, he would go to... Uh, he would go to public forums and whatever, and he would have a, a comment, you know, okay. some kind of inflammatory comment, and at the bottom it says "change my mind." I forget yeah. what his name was because yeah. I don't pay attention to him. I don't know who but, you're talking
1: about, but but it sounds like a it sounds like a sound strategy. And again, I'm not I'm not here to debate the content of what Bill Maher said, and and not to bring him up again. But I'm not to, I'm here to debate the content. But I am worried about the same thing that he brought up. The point that he brings up is that we're just living in this time where, you know, art art is supposed to. Uh, imitate life uh life is not supposed to imitate art at its at its truest form right and now i don't know where the line is of something that's real and something that's not real you know are you doing something aspirational because you want life to imitate the art or are you showing us a, a character or a story uh that that wasn't you know wasn't present best thing about that movie i thought besides the cat the cat is pretty awesome Best thing about the movie, I thought, was Carol's uh, co-pilot. I thought she was great with the daughter. I yeah, thought that other, was
0: the other uh, Captain Marvel.
1: Yeah, that was, that who, who was, that was Monica way, Rambo. Who, by the way, I felt like was uh, <laughs> uh, Rhodes' sister. I, I feel like she's related to. Like it was, it was, it was weird. Um, no,
0: Monica Monica Rambo is the Captain Marvel from the '80s. She yes, was, she, the, she was the the Black Captain Marvel. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, and she was fantastic in the film. I thought her character was fantastic. I, I thought the decision for her to go up in space was stupid. As a parent, I don't care if my kid's like, No, you should go threaten your life and uh go in a spaceship. I'll be fine with, with Mima and Pop here. You know? It's like, no, no, like as a parent I would never would have made that decision. Now, maybe if the daughter's life was in jeopardy, she should have done that, which I think uh, was a yeah. Way to
0: go. Yeah. Um,
1: but other, otherwise, I, I loved her character and I loved the storyline between her and Carol. That to me was the best part of the film.
0: Um, why do I rank it? Yeah, but I don't I don't okay, I get I get what you're saying about this stuff. But I don't know if we're 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 we're, we're discussing this on the predicate that our assumptions about the movie are correct, right? That oh, that yeah, the movie is, is correct. Huh? Really? Yes, of course. Yeah, you, yes, and everything you say is incorrect. Secrets of
1: the Sire. We get to do what
0: we want here. These are secrets, though. The secret is that they're usually not correct. But anyway, um, <laughs> Deadpool the, will fail. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a predication that that the the movie is being is becoming successful simply because of yeah this other thing. We don't know that for certain. Um, what we do know for certain is the movie is successful. They said the same thing about Black Panther. It's a great movie, but it doesn't deserve to be a billion dollar movie. But it see, I think in really that case, it did. Award. Like it absolutely But I mean, did. yeah, but I mean, this argument keeps coming up no matter what happens. It's like, it's like, look, all, all the people want to be, apparently, yeah. is entertained. And, and, and Marvel has a brand of, of you know, a, a decades long brand of consistent delivery of, of quality entertainment to the point where they can get, even their even their most mediocre. Sure. You know, I'm, is, looking at is, you, I'm looking at you, Thor: Dark World. Is all they have to achieve? Ugh, I couldn't stand a movie. It is all they mentioned. have to achieve. All they have to achieve to to get people to to come to the movie. All all people have to hear is, "I liked it." You know, it's a great movie. It's another, and then people go for a short fired, um, you know, action adventure movie. So it. It seems like there's a market for it. It seems like nobody cares about the feminist agenda, yeah, or the SJW agenda, right? Um, in this particular situation, it seems like there is a market for there. You know, you could you could theorize because we don't have the percentage of how many how many, I mean, I think I think uh, uh, Grace Randolph actually had a percentage of uh, male to female ratio uh who went to and, and she said it was like 60 percent male right in the audience so obviously men don't mind about this yeah and either.
1: i thought that whole thing with the with men not wanting to go see it and yada yada, yada i mean it's stupid i mean that's just stupid
0: particularly white men not wanting yeah. to go see it because she doesn't want white men to come see her movies uh, well look is, when you say is, when
1: you blanket statement something i mean that's that, that's another yeah. that's another thing that i i always i always find funny and this is what you'll find on social media uh and and let me know if this sounds vaguely familiar in, in other contexts. Blah, 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 white men are blah, 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 blah. Oh, well, I didn't mean you. Well, yeah, but, well, if you take offense to it, then there's something wrong with you. So like, well, you, you kind of blanket generalized a whole bunch of things. How do, how do you know? I mean, it, it's, it, it's an equivalent in, in many ways to other discussions where you say blah, 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 blah this, Oh well, I didn't mean you. You're not like that. Blah blah. blah. I think
0: you know? I think you'd be absolutely right if she had said that. I, I right. would totally agree with you. Like you can't differentiate if you're gonna say if you're gonna if if you're gonna uh, broad brush all white men. You know you can't just say oh you have a you're a different Mike. You know, but although I've heard that several times in my life. You know, you know right. you're a different Hassan. But but right. It's it's right. You know, I don't
1: I don't think it's I don't think it's right because the because the skin color changes.
0: No, I it's it. I, I I'm I'm just saying. I I I would sympathize with that. the the, the issue I make with that is not what she said. So obviously, right? That you know, that, that's that's the bull crap of of the whole right. situation. Like, that's it, twisting it was, words and that's right twisting what she says. I agree. Right. I agree. Um, I I you know, look, it isn't over. It it is it is a changing demographic. We keep proving that with every one of these with every one of these like groundbreaking movies that that do a hundred times better than, mm-hmm. you know, the, the standard movies. We, we do, we do prove that there's a world market out there that that's into diversity. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a domestic market that's into the diversity thing where all of us, I think let's just, let's just put a, a happy cap on it. All of us just want to get past this shit <laughs> and just, Bing. and just, yeah, just wanna we just wanna get movies and stuff like that. We just wanna we want our John McLeans, and we want our shafts. I can't and we want, our, we agree want all more, these other Which is terrible for the show. Yes. I yeah, I well well we'll get back to the screen in a minute. Don't worry. Um but um I think to say, look, I want I we want a, we want a review board that reflects the the diversity of your demographic. Yeah,
1: I think there's you know? I think there's total validity in that. Absolutely. There's there's no question. That's what I'm saying. A lot of a lot of the points of contention are garbage. I think we can we can absolutely go on a limb and say
0: Like yeah, like Kelly Marie Tran got kicked off of uh off of uh the, what is it Twitter? Yeah. because of harassment. Some right. of the harassment was was <laughs> some of it was legitimate because the movie she was in was bad. It's not her fault. That's what I'm
1: saying it's like her yeah, you know, her character wasn't bad because she was an Asian character. Yeah, was, her character yeah. was bad because she really annoyed the heck out of us and she ended up thwarting the one right. character arc uh, that right. she was going through the
0: right. entire time but a lot of the, the backlash she got was you know just racist yeah. so when yeah. she and, and, when and she and, responds and, to but, it she she responds to the racism i heard i had a whole bunch of uh, you know guys well i would respect what she said but she had to bring race into it <laughs> so it's like, yeah. well wait a minute. Like yeah. there's there's no way to win because it's like, look, you should be like, look, if they if they made a racist if they made racist comments, we need to condemn this. If she made a racist comment, we need to condemn it. Right. It needs to be condemned. If she's saying I'm getting off Twitter because I'm getting a lot of racism yeah. from these particular people, that's not racism. No. That's a response to racism. I agree. Right? But people are so insecure. About their position, you know, just like like cause what I would call that. If I'm if a, if you're a guy, if I if me myself, I'll make it me. I, if I, if I'm a guy and I'm in a situation where I'm doing really well at my job, but uh, a woman gets a job and she's really good at the job also, and then I start applying all this for affirmative action stuff on her. And all these—all she must have slept her way to this to this position to get this position, right? That's yeah. my insecurity about right. my position, sure. because I, of her I, success. One hundred percent agree with you. Okay, so, so when when you're when you're a white male, I mm-hmm. would I would assume, and you hear that other white occasionally males, I am, yeah, once in a while, once in a while, <laughs> <laughs> definitely when you're, when you're with your son, because <laughs> you got to show him how to. I'm just kidding. So. Um, when you're when you're when you're in a situation like that, you hear other, what other potentially white men have done. If you didn't do those things, there should be no need for you to defend against those things, right? Unless you have the same feelings. If I hear what other black guys have done, in the name of in the name of racial justice, mm-hmm. or in the name, and, and I and I find those those the, that behavior, um, despicable or deplorable. I'm not going to feel insecure about saying like these guys shouldn't have done this shit. You know, this, this, right. is, this, is bull. So I think, I, I, I think the problem basically is we're still not in a position where we can talk about this respectf- respectfully, respectfully, right. without, without other people feeling diminished that we're, we're having the discussion. It's like, before we, before we even get to the point of who's to blame, <laughs> it's just the, the simple act of having the discussion is getting people so uptight that we can't even have the discussion, you know, because it, you know, well, I know, I know what this is going to be like. You know, I- you're going to blame me for being a white guy. I'll and-
1: leave, I'll leave, I'll leave it on this note because we're going to take a break. Yeah, uh, I just went to a a, a talk today uh, from a woman from Saltwater Wellness. She talks about entrepreneurs and how you how you need to stay healthy, and she she talks about sleep being the number one thing. And she says if you go to bed with the screen on, it actually tells your brain that you're still on. And I think that using that in conjunction with our society glued to our phones, we are never off. So we are hypersensitive to things. And I think it's, I think it's biological and I think it will come out that it's biological that because we are so glued to our phone and so glued to our Twitter and are so glued to our reaction uh, to comments, to the mic drop It's what we like to refer to it on the show. When you post something that is obviously inflammatory and is obviously going to get people to respond to you. I think there is an inherent issue with us as a society right now. And I think it's spilling over into the movies. I think it's spilling over into politics. Politics has become the new celebrity, which is the most amazing thing because politicians have always, for the most part, operated, you know, outside of this realm of celebrity. And it's only thanks to social media that now it's all kind of merging into one mass of bing. All right. Hmm. When we come back, I actually want to break down the film and I'm going to tell you why I find it to be above average at best. And Hassan, you might actually agree. Hi, everyone. This is Michael Dolce, host of the Secrets of the Sire radio show and podcast. And welcome to our Patreon launch event. To date, we've interviewed actor Kevin Bacon and rocker Chris Cornell. We spent a wacky week with a real housewife and played Love It or Shove It with a comic book icon. We've debated which TV shows everyone should be watching and channeled our inner force comparing Rogue One to The Force Awakens. And that's just the beginning. Become an executive producer and get an exclusive feed inside our studio before and while we air. Become a program director and receive our exclusive show outline with insider details on topics and guests hours before we go live. Or just be a fan. And for a quarter of broadcast, we'll sing your praises on the interwebs every week. So if you like pop culture, movies, TV shows, and graphic novels, this is the Patreon page for you. My name is Michael Dolce, creator of The Sire, from Mike Books. The Sire is about a superhero forced by his own costume to fight evil. It's like having a spider sense, but instead of warning him of danger, it actually puts him in danger. It was first launched back in 2006 through After Hours Press, and was met with tremendous success. Six issues and a trade paperback later, I thought The Sire's journey had reached a good stopping point. But a funny thing happened. As I continued working in comics, writing for Xenoscope, and co-creating Descendant for Image Comics, Fans would meet me at conventions and continually ask when the next issue was coming out. Apparently, The Sire was far from done. And that's why I'm proud to welcome you to this Kickstarter, celebrating the Volume 2 trade paperback for The Sire. Collecting issues 7 through 10 and featuring an amazing cover by Jim Calafuri of Aquaman fame, the trade is an exciting way for readers, both new and old, to get into the character. And this trade doesn't just collect old material. It's jam-packed with almost 15 pages of new material, including a brand-new prologue featuring the return of fan-favorite artist Daniel Leister. Welcome back to Secrets of the Sire. We do this every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, Talk Radio. No, we're on Sire Studios now. That's right. We want to thank our friends at talkradio.nyc for having us on there for three years. We did at the end of last show, but always want to give a shout-out to them and wish them the best. Uh, We are now on 40 different channels. We're on Apple TV, but mainly we're streaming live on youtube.com slash secrets of the sire, which will soon change over to Sire studios and facebook.com slash secrets of the sire, which will stay because it's a, it's a great Facebook page. Chime in on the comments. Uh, You can go on Twitter at Michael underscore Dolce. That will also become at Sire studios in the next couple weeks as well, too. And uh, we're going to have a whole operation here. So we're pretty excited, but, we don't want to forget all of our uh, friends and uh, family that have helped us uh, along. We are a big family here. We're brought to you by our beloved patrons new fan Craig Caruso, dedicated fans Ian Peterson, Matt Beyer, Ashley Haikai, Omar Morales, program director Stephanie Dolce, and as always, our Uber fan Christina Dolce, who is thrilled that we are not in New York City every Wednesday night anymore. <laughs> She's excited. All right, we were talking Captain Marvel. We talked about the, the meta value of, of Captain Marvel. We talked about the meta qualities as to why this has been such a financial boom for Marvel, whether you agree or disagree, the art imitating life, not imitating life. You know, that's a, that's a meta discussion. want to get a little granular and talk about the movie. I think it's average at best, and the reasoning behind this is... Essentially, what I found in this article from CNET.com, Captain Marvel could have been a better prequel. Sure, I like No Doubt, but the 1990s settings was a missed opportunity to give us a different view of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If there's one thing that bothers me, it's the film doesn't do enough with the fact that it's a prequel. Long before the events currently unfolding in the MCU makes things difficult for the filmmakers because with all prequels, we know broadly how things are going to pan out. But at the same time, It gives the filmmakers an exciting extra dimension to play with, which is audience expectations. We knew where certain characters were going to be, but we don't know how they got there. We know Nick Fury was a badass with an eye patch. However, Captain Marvel at least explains that. Unfortunately, that's about it. Apart from the question of Fury's eye, the 1990 setting is basically nostalgic set dressing, setting up jokes about blockbuster, and classic power anthems like celebrity skin by hole and just a girl. No doubt.
0: Can I, can I, that yeah, was really, that point? was really terrible. Can I make and, a point? And, and Nick Fury's eye was pretty terrible. Yeah. Like and, and, that was pretty terrible.
1: I agree. Actually. I think Nick Fury losing the eye to the cat was actually kind of, unless there's some sort of plot point we're going to learn about it, it really, it, it fell flat for me. It was neat, but not really at the same time, kind of, kind of a little weak. Uh, we get that it's 1990s. I thought the opening with Blockbuster was cool. I thought the internet cafe was cool. I thought the first third of the movie, giving us those little wink and a nod to the 1990 Alta Vista. My dad even kind of said, Alta
0: Vista. Oh, that is a <laughs> Yeah. You know, those were Yeah, awesome. there were was, was some, some pretty cool uh, nods to like especially just how slow the internet was, how sure. slow everything was back then.
1: Sure. Awesome. In the first third. Two thirds at the most climactic scene in the film or two most climactic scenes in the film. I don't need Nirvana come as you are. I don't need Annette Benning being like, oh, look at that music, how great it is. What? What? Look, what? Look, All of a sudden I'm watching MTV? Like you pulled me out of a movie that I was actually getting into. I thought the first third, the best part about the first third was the 90s nostalgia. I thought Brie Larson, it took a little while for her to get going as an actress in that role for me to get comfortable with her. The way she delivered lines was a little cutesy for my for my liking uh, for lack of a better term i don't know you know i'm sure i'll get trashed for that but you know so be it i just thought she didn't deliver the kind of dialogue that you would normally deliver uh in that respect but then by the middle of the film she got going however two-thirds of the way in don't pull me out of the film to remind me that kirk cobain was a famous 90s singer don't take the most pivotal battle sequence which is her battling the other Cree. And throw in Just a Girl, it totally destroyed everything. It's like, oh, by the way, don't forget, we're a feminist movie. Oh, don't forget, Gwen Stefani was the 90s-era feminist, you know, the example of feminism there. Like, you know, it was like, come on, I don't need that. that.
0: Because, you, yeah, you didn't need that, but the the girls did. The girls really
1: needed that. Like, like the actual movie you were showing of a powerful female woman assuming control of her identity and her powers that's not enough we've got to be like by the way here's a here's a song that goes with it that totally doesn't fit this battle sequence and makes it more humorous than earth shattering in any way shape or form
0: no uh, come on come on you can't you can't say whether that's enough or not i just did yeah you can but you can but But that goes to a point
1: though that goes to the exact point we were talking about
0: why is it that you, you can't assess something uh, as a human being and say- you can, you can assess it all you want for you, but you can only speak for you. This is the point. Uh. It's the idea that you're speaking for everyone else, that whether this was necessary or whether girls really needed this, you can't speak to that. There's no way you and I can speak to that. So
1: you're going to tell, tell me that that was the best song option. Remember Watchmen? Remember Watchmen? Oh, wow. The movie?
0: Yeah, I I thought my biggest
1: complaint with Watchmen was the exact same thing: was when you're in pivotal moments, and all of a sudden you get, you know, music selections.
0: That's 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 ironic. I liked the music from Watchmen. That kind of act that put me into it, like the the Dylan song in the beginning, "Times Are Changing," and uh, you know, uh, the sound of silence during funerals and stuff like that. I enjoyed all of that. It kind of. I thought that was good.
1: I thought the scene though when. when uh night owl uh finally consummates um
0: what the hallelujah song yeah i i I,
1: I, that was that was the exact same feeling i got uh as a as a sorry as a white male talking about this it's the exact same feeling i got when i watched when i watched this because you know uh, in that in that role this is like i'm into this like i am so into this and then all of a sudden it's like hi i'm gonna go get you now i'm just the girl come on like like Really like play me something that has some sort of dramatic effect. There's no part of me that, that was in like was, was
0: worried hence that the battle
1: sequence was going to go anyway, then hence
0: what she said. It wasn't made for you. It oh, it wasn't the thing that was is made that's for such
1: you. such a cop out. It's such a cop out. Oh, it was just it wasn't made for you. No, you made a bad music selection. You made a bad music selection. Who's I, to
0: say? I am. Who's to say? I well, am saying this, but you're only speaking for you, right?
1: Yeah, but if you if you come out and say this wasn't made for you, that's that's a cop out. It was it was a poor choice. It's a poor choice. Based on what? Based on my feelings.
0: Which means it, it, it means. wasn't made for you. No. It didn't work for you. No, no. That's see, that's such a cop out. What do you mean? No, that's exactly what you're saying.
1: So, you know what? The next time uh, when my kid goes to college and he hands a term paper in and the ter- and the and the college professor says, "Dad, ah, you got to be on this." He's going to sit there and go, "No, no, 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 <laughs> professor, this wasn't made for you, so I deserve an A. And the college professor at that point is going to be like, you're absolutely right. No, I, no, what do I know no, as, a, no, as a
0: college that's, professor? That's apples and oranges. It's like, not one is apples and oranges. One is, one, is a, one is a test with set parameters that you're supposed to meet these parameters in order to just define a score. How about an essay? The other is – How about an essay or a term paper? The other is entertainment. Essays or term papers on entertainment. It's it's forming
1: an opinion on something. It's forming an opinion. uh,
0: No, they are tests. Taking a subject. They are tests of how well you assimilate acumen and how you can regurgitate it back. Because (sighs) look, if you're studying on something that's not true, right? If you read a textbook that doesn't have all of history in it, you get tested on that book. You're not tested on history. You're tested on how well you assimilated that book. Yeah. So that's what that is. That's just that's called that's that's, if you have a thesis, that's information. That's if information you have, digestion and recall. That's so, what you, those if,
1: are. no, 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 no. If you're writing about a, if you're writing about a book, and 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 that's your essay that you're writing about. Most of that is subjective, and then at that point, you're handing in a subjective piece of an essay. But you're not. And they're, gonna, and they're, and they're not, grading you on how well you
0: execute
1: said thesis.
0: And how you, well you yeah. And to part. that. And to that point. If you execute that essay really well, but you fail to, to, to pinpoint all the points of the book that you did the essay on, or all the points of the, in, in, in the lesson that you did the essay on, you're not gonna get a, a good mark for having an entertaining e- essay that, that fails to meet all the parameters of that essay. Uh, it's not gonna work.
1: I guess for the Trust good of the me, show. I've tried for the it. For the show, I disagree with you. Uh, um, okay. Let me, let me move on in this article, though, because I think this one is actually uh, pretty cool because I think you might actually really agree with this. The-
2: I just,
0: you know what? I, I understand what you're saying. I, just, I vehemently agree with saying that women didn't need that. I think that's part of the problem. I yeah, think no. Just, I thought the film could...
1: itself was speaking for itself, wasn't it? Like, wasn't the film speaking for itself? Like, was it? Wasn't... No,
0: I mean, I disagree with you. If we knew what the film was when we went into it, then you can't, you can't, you can't begrudge it for celebrating what it is
1: halfway I don't, through I, the film. At that point, it didn't feel like celebration. It, it felt like overkill of '90s music, first of all, and it, it was felt, no such
0: thing. You know, and I'm no a, you thing. know, I'm,
1: a, I'm as big a fan of '90s music as, as it comes. So, so trust me, this is very painful for me to say, but I was like, oh come on. Ah, oh, come on. Like, not again. Like, we don't, need, we don't need that. All right. The other thing that this movie didn't do in terms of a prequel, and this one, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on it. And the writer of this article on CNET.com said, I've argued before that prequels are inherently rubbish unless they follow one golden rule. They have to tell us something we don't already know. A truly effective prequel should change how we perceive the films or books or TV shows that come that came before or after. If it doesn't put a new spin, what's the point? Captain Marvel, unfortunately, just gives us a bunch of things we already know. When, uh, and he'll go into this. He has several examples, but one that I thought was really good. He says, okay, or what if, go with me on this. What if when Coulson was replaced by a scroll, nobody noticed? What if the Agent Coulson we've seen throughout all the Marvel movies and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, the guy we've known and loved for 10 years was a scroll all along. Mind-blown. He says, And he goes on, he says, look, I know it's, it's, it's kind of out of left field. Uh, he gives other examples. What if Ronan's defeat had set him on the path to his Guardians of the Galaxy villainy? Uh, what if the filmmakers put as much effort into Colson's character? You know, what if he had been, I don't know, a corrupt alcoholic L.A. cop reluctantly investigating a break-in at the blockbuster only to be profoundly changed by the experience? That would have been better. There was really none of that. The Tesseract is the same. We do kind of learn its path to get to Fury by the time Avengers starts. But other than that, you know, the cat hasn't made an appearance since. Since, Spoilers, sorry. It's an alien of some kind. We haven't seen it since. So, again, it was cute. But what was the point, I guess? What do you think?
0: I, I, I get some of it. I, I agree with some of it. I think the Colson thing wouldn't have worked because of the way that they brought him back to life for the TV show. Sure. You know? They would have figured out he wasn't human. But, sure. Um, um, because, I mean, as soon as he died in Avengers mm-hmm. because Josh Whedon's a douche. Um, as soon as he died in Avengers... Spoilers! <laughs> uh, I Maybe mean, that's he, how he comes back. That would have been fine. That would have been great if he just, ah, I just didn't die because that's not where my heart is. You know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But, you know, as soon as he died, because you see when, he, when they die in the movie, they, they revert back into yeah. their... Yeah. So you know. No, I but, I know I know. He was just he was giving. Yeah, he I was get just giving
1: An example.
0: I get it, and I think that would that would be great if it, if it was if we were still in phase one and two of Marvel cinema, MCU. Yeah. Where everything was it was this like joint effort where it was like coordinating with television and coordinating with Netflix and coordinating yeah. with the, with all this mass media. Uh-huh. I think that would have been great if they would have been able to handle it right and had sent all these ripples, you know, right. going out through and then you know the joy would be watching how all these things played every time a movie dropped you had to watch how they would play out in in everyday media right. you know you know um because when they shut down shield in um in winter soldier yeah basically uh or you know when they when in the second avengers movie i think they shut shield down mm-hmm. uh you you're you're kind of like, now, you know, we've got this TV show called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. How is this going to play <laughs> out with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Sure. So, you know, it, that, that stuff was great back then. But, you know, look, the, the bottom line about uh, Captain Marvel is she's just the new hero of the, of the new phase of MCU since we're phasing out all the other, you know, many of the other characters. Right. <clears throat> so she doesn't really have to be. I mean, we, we're, we're constantly, because we are evolved, we have evolved watching the MCU stories. Sure. We expect the stories to evolve with us and to become more, um, more in-depth and more, uh, more nuanced and more complicated because we are more nuanced viewers. Well, yeah, because obviously you just said it yourself. Are you tired of the trope? Well, you wouldn't be tired of
1: the trope if they, if they went deeper with some of this stuff. Of course,
0: and, but we, you know, the, here's, here's that uh, argument again. We're where where the where the viewers being phased out? You know? It's not it's not improving on us. It's, sure. It's, it's it's setting itself up for another generation of viewers. That are People are come living a us. lot
1: longer now. So phasing us out doesn't make sense. But
0: be, no, you know. but uh, you know, all demographics, all all entertainment, everything is aimed at a younger demographic. Sure. We're we're aging out of the, the program. We are I feel like I'm getting younger every day. Out. I don't know what you're
1: talking about.
0: Uh, you know, you know all exactly right. what I'm talking about
1: real quick before we go to break uh one thing i actually i i don't even know how to parse this correctly i enjoyed it for the purpose of the movie but the comic book fan in me hated it and again spoilers if anybody hasn't seen the film i actually did not like the way they handled the scrolls with the twist that they were the noble race because they're not the noble race they come and they're gonna come and take over earth they're they're you know the, you know, my dad kind of said, he says, wow, that was a real twist that they were not the bad guys. I'm like, yeah, but they are the bad guys. So are the Kree. The Kree and the Scroll are both the bad guys. Right. So,
0: there's but, some, you know. But. But. Compared to the Kree, the scroll are more <laughs> sympathetic. And then later in the MCU... When it's the Kree, when it's no longer the Kree versus the Skrull, yeah. the Skrull can move into being the villains.
1: Yes, I know, I know. It just it 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 left a. And
0: the void. other thing is the Kree were already established as the villains from Guardians of the Galaxy. Sure. So, sure. you know, I like the would, little Indiana Jones
1: reference too at the end. By the way,
0: it would be just as confusing to have the Kree as yeah. the semi-good guys with the scrolls as you know as the, as the bad guys.
1: Yeah. I li- I like the little uh with the, when Jude Law faces off against uh, Carol. I like the little yeah. Raiders of Lost <laughs> Ark nod.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. and it was perfect. See, you know
1: what? That's perfect. Perfect instance of using humor at the right time uh you know not distracting from from what the per- Yeah.
0: Perfect. I mean, you know to, to now to 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 contradict uh you a little bit. See, I didn't need that because I knew that guy had no chance of winning anyway. Right. You know, it's like, ah, just shoot that guy. You know, right. that's, that's, that's exactly, you know, right. it was like, like, yeah, but come on, dude. You're trying yeah. to psych her out with, uh, with that. You know, what do you, what do you hope to accomplish with that? Yeah. All
1: right. When we come back, Paul Castro, uh, producer behind uh, Madonna and the Breakfast Club. He's also a voice actor. He's going to go into a whole lot of stuff. He's going to talk about the film, which is awesome. It's, uh, it's out on a lot of VOD services right now, and it's getting a lot of rave reviews when we read. one welcome back to secrets of one welcome back to secrets of the sire we do this every wednesday night 8pm eastern uh, streaming live via sire studios and secrets of the you can always catch us on our youtube channel youtube.com Slash Secrets of the Sire and Facebook.com/slash Secrets of the Sire. Very excited to welcome my next guest, Mr. Paul Castro. How you doing, sir? I'm good. Thank you very much. Welcome, welcome. We really appreciate it. Now, you are a multi-talented uh, individual, and you sport the backwards hat with the <laughs> with the adjustable uh, rim. That's that's the way to go. See, that's that's old yeah. school. If I had more hair, I would do that. Otherwise, i just look bald. So It's
2: where I store all my energy, so I got to keep it you know, encapsulated in there, make sure nothing gets out.
1: So you're like a five-tool talent. Uh, we are a sports radio show masquerading as a pop culture show. <laughs> um, you're an actor, a voice actor, a producer, a director, and a writer. And right now, your big thing is Madonna and the Breakfast Club. Why don't you talk to us about that?
2: Uh, yeah, so Madonna and the Breakfast Club, it's a film that I produced It's a narrative documentary about Madonna's early career before she became what everyone knows her as, the material girl, and even more success since then probably Mm -hmm. even more fame that you can you know she could have ever imagined but this takes place in the late 70s early 80s when she was an aspiring dancer and she was moved to New York she didn't have a dollar to her name she didn't know anybody and she just started learning how to play drums learning how to play the guitar and she wasn't even a singer she was a dancer so she started singing with this band called the Breakfast Club and you got to kind of watch the movie to figure out what happens in between there and, and all of the booming success that she's received. But um, yeah, we just released today, March twelfth. So very uh, serendipitous of us to to have this convo right now. Uh, we're on all digital platforms: iTunes, Amazon, on demand. Um, we're actually as of last I checked, if you go to the charts on iTunes, we're ranked number two of oh, documentaries awesome. right now. Yeah, so we're right under Free Solo. What's if we well, if we take that, I'll be an, very impressed. An Oscar winner, ooh! Yeah,
1: I know, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so Just a
1: small feat. What was your involvement in the film
2: exactly? So I was the lead producer. Myself and the director Guy Guido were the only producers on the film, basically. Mm-hmm. And I guess for people who don't know or not familiar, that was my, my next
1: question. My, that was my yeah. Question. What does a producer do? Um, I mean, we've seen Entourage, and we know uh, the the very famous. Um, you know, Eric character trying to figure out what, what producing really is. And yes, uh, a exactly. lot of, a lot of people, it's an enigma. So talk to us about it. Yeah.
2: I mean, your job is pretty much everything. You're almost like the team captain. You're, you're not the quarter like the director's the quarterback, but you're like the head coach mm-hmm. uh, is is a way I like to put it. And for me, it's responsible for making sure everything's organized. Everyone knows what they're doing. All the money is in order. All the paperwork's in order. All the cast is where they're supposed to be. Every person you've hired is where they're supposed to be getting distribution, getting sales agents, getting social media done. It's everything. It's everything you could imagine that a film needs you're doing. So on an indie set, you're doing that amplified by a thousand for what you would imagine, like on a real set, what a producer does. Sure. In a real set, you know, they're very limited in terms of what they need to do. But as an indie thing, you're also making sure that everyone's got food in their mouth. And if not, you're running down the block and you're picking up some sandwiches. You know what I mean? So it really was uh, from start to finish, everything under the sun. Sometimes I'm holding the boom pole. If our sound guy is doing something else, like honestly, I was, it was
1: doing everything. How, How did the project make its way to you? Is it something that you sought out? Is it something that someone came to you with? Like, how did it, how did it work? So, um,
2: I had done a short film, and I produced actually a couple short films, and I was doing some directing, and my cousin, who's good, for, uh, her name's Kathy Castro, uh, she's the manager of two, she's a manager in the industry of, of actors, my cousin's, my I guess they're my third cousins, are actors. And uh, her friend is the director, Guy Guido. She said, hey, he's looking for someone to AD, which means assistant director. They were literally just looking for someone to make sure that on set, everything was going as planned, everyone was scheduled. And I said, well, I'm interested in that, but if you want me to come on board and you want me to devote my time the way that you're asking, really what you're looking for is a producer. And they're like, oh, okay. So at first I came on board as a co-producer. Very quickly, they saw how much I was contributing to the project. I was bringing massive amounts of crew. I was, you know, involving myself in the project. I guess way more than uh, he anticipated. But thankfully, I hope, (laughs) in his opinion, uh, and he was like, you know, why don't we make you a producer? Me and you would be the 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 lead producers on this. So uh, it happened from someone seeking out an ad. I was referred, and you know, the rest is kind of history.
1: That's amazing. Uh, talk to us about the lead actress in this, and and before you even get into her, um, because it's it's it is a documentary, but you you know there's a lot of scenes acted out, so you really do need like an actress in this. It's not just like you know a straightforward you know here's some clips and here's you know some talking heads, right?
2: Precisely. Yeah, it's a hybrid film. It's it's we do reenactments, and our actress Jamie all
1: ironic and
2: I guess crazy to think that she is actually not an actress by trade. She was, a, she was going to FIT. Okay, She was working in a donut shop and my director saw her. Mm-hmm. We were trying to do the traditional casting route, casting an actor, actress out of LA with agents and managers and casting directors, the whole thing. And it just wasn't working out either money-wise or schedule-wise for whoever we were speaking to. And we saw Jamie, mm-hmm. as beautiful as she is, jawline that's identical to Madonna's at that time. And we're like, we got we to gotta talk to this girl. So my director, Guy Guido, went up to her pitched her the project she was skeptical at first rightfully so mm-hmm. who's this random guy asking to come be in my movie and I work at a donut <laughs> shop but she really brought the goods you know she's not an actress but she does a phenomenal job she really did her homework and you know I, I, I couldn't be more proud of, of the job that her and guy did together and bringing that performance
1: to life. Well, you just, you just unlocked your flowing locks and, and everything hey, everything hey. worked right yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, you know, it's funny. We've only met once, and I'm already on this uh, familiar, familiar tone with you. Um, <laughs> as it
2: happens, as it happens.
1: <laughs> um, talk to us about some other stuff that you guys that you got going on as well too. Like, like we mentioned, we went through your roster of uh, of of talents. Uh, you've got uh, some voiceover work that you sort of can talk about, but you can't quite talk about. But <sighs> yeah,
2: I mean, I have NDAs that I I. Would risk losing the job for, but I can say that one of them is a reboot of a popular Netflix show, or actually, it wasn't a Netflix show, it was a show that's on on netflix now it was on another network but they're rebooting it and i'm playing the lead role which is very cool and then i'm doing a cartoon about uh talking dogs which is like a spongebob-esque of uh a street dog that winds up getting uh taken in by this family and it's how a street dog uh lives his life with two house dogs so it's a very very fun and uh cute tv show i think uh it's gonna be a lot of fun i'm actually really really impressed with the writing that that we've been working on in the last couple weeks
1: what is like well actually what what was your first voiceover experience and then from there i want to know your process for doing voice acting because it's got to be different we've had some voice actors in the show before and everyone kind of has their own process for kind of getting in the role and it's it's not traditional acting but it is so yeah so talk to me about again what was your first role and then You know, how do you gear up for these things?
2: So my first role, animation wise, I would say it was probably some like short segment on Nickelodeon. I was actually contracted for a good like two years. I was the voice of Nick Sports. So all of the commercial segments, all like their fun, goofy things where it's like, Coming up next is Rob Dyrdek's Fun Skater House thing. It was all like that, you know, Nick Sports, stuff like that. I was doing sure. NFL Rush Zone, Guardians. Very cool. Uh, Rocket Power. All, I was even doing some SpongeBob stuff, which is weird. But um, I was doing that for a, a good while. Mm-hmm. My first, like, real cartoon animation show was this show called Nell of the Princess Knight, which is like a Nick Jr. show. Okay. And I, I play a uh, messenger bird named Flapper. Uh, okay. And that was i think different than like the short form stuff i was doing an actual thing that was airing on network television it was uh it was just cool and i think voice acting different than acting is just a whole different beast you have to really do a lot of the work that's not given for you you don't have scene partners you're not you know actually doing what these characters are doing you're not flying yeah. around so you have to really generate that without making noise in the booth right um so my process really is Um, doing my work as an actor knowing what I'm doing but it's all improv it's really just being able to show up not have to being able to do cold reads really which is taking the words off the page like you know them by heart but you're reading them for the first time because you don't want to over prepare either I think that's a trap a lot of young voice actors do is they over-prepare and then the director or the producer is like, yeah, we don't like that. Can you do something else? And they're like, "Uh, (laughs) ah, you know, system malfunction. So I don't know. I just try to be as fun as possible. I like to be like an amazing personality in the room so that a director, Mm -hmm. um, they can just, I can do whatever they need to do. I have a lot of like stuff I can pull out of my hats at any time. So you don't like this, I can try this. You don't like that, I can try that, you know? Um, Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's really just being uh, an experienced human that has a lot of different resources to pull from. And I think that's what makes me a decent writer is I have a Mm -hmm. lot of different experiences. I didn't grow up in the theater acting. I was a skateboarder. I was into film. I was into, Mm -hmm. I I was a big geek, comic books, video games, board games, card games, and you just see so many different characters doing that. And um, I I I use a lot of the people who I have have met in my life as inspirations for a majority of the things that I do.
1: What's uh, some of the comic books that you you loved and are, uh, if you have time right now, because you're very busy uh, reading right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was just... I'm I'm reading a lot of graphic novels and stuff now too, a lot of mangas. Um, Reading Berserk right now, which is an anime. But um, growing up, I was a huge X-Men fan. Like the first inceptions of the x-men i was a big silver surfer fan that was Mm -hmm. probably my favorite character um spider-man obviously um i really inherited comic books from my dad everything that he loved i kind of so fantastic four was what was my Mm -hmm. first comic was my first comic um and then um some of the newer stuff too i'm trying to think of what i've i've picked up recently just like i'm a big uh Coed eating Cambria, fan, so it's more of a <laughs> I went to high I school know. with him, actually. No shit. Yeah, but the, their armor, the Armory Wars, uh all their comics, their graphic novels, or are, are some of the stuff that I keep going back to is just a really, really good read, fun read. Yeah, he
1: graduated, um, he graduated a year ahead of me, and but we have a mutual friend, so we're always just like, uh, oh yeah, how's he doing? Oh yeah, he's doing great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's just no really funny. You and I met. At, at not met, but we met in high school, but like we met at like San Diego Comic Con one year, and it was just like so, uh, it was just funny, you know. It's it's funny, yeah. cause you know, rock band, and then, uh, and but he's big, big, you know, geek comic book nerd, and and, and yeah, you know, so it's, it's funny how that my wife actually texted me. She's like, Did you know that Go Eat in Cambria is all based around graphic novels? I was like, Yeah,
2: yeah, I know, it's, it's, it's amazing. If you haven't heard a, it, you need to listen to everything.
1: It was a cool niche, and it was something too that, like uh when i was when i was in high school not in high school sorry when i was in college you know i was in a band and they're like we should do it around comics i'm like no i want to separate the two (laughs) (laughs) you missed your boat who knew yeah i think I I probably had to be more talented too to make it (laughs) oh well that's that's a key ingredient i don't think it was just the uh the comic books that uh that didn't get me where i was going with the band sure
2: you grew up in New, new
1: mexico is that where he's from no where are you from uh we're in Nyack actually Nyack New York uh, so Oh about, New York yeah, 30 minutes north new of New York City and um we uh yeah we went to Nyack and he actually but he went to Kingston which is like the new Brooklyn upstate now Okay but um, so he like went moved up there found his bandmates and uh and the rest is history for him so that's just like no a Cohade fan that's just uh, it's always funny I'm, it's he's on my it's it's again ironic he's on my list of uh interviews I want to do yeah. Um, I do a lot of music interviews and uh, it's just funny because he's like literally from my backyard. So I should, yeah, just, I, mean, I should just call up our friend and be like, get him on the phone. <laughs> yeah, why not?
2: What, what does it hurt? I mean, he's a, a really down to earth dude. I've I've met him a couple of times just at Comic-Con and then at concerts sure. and stuff when I was growing up. Um, Yeah, they're very, I love their music. One of my top, top bands.
1: Very cool. Talk to us. Uh, one of the things that we love to do is, this is secrets of the sire. We like to give insider info. We like to kind of take people on the inside. Uh, you mentioned young voice actors coming up, but just in general, I mean, what is your advice, uh, for anyone? I mean, pick one of the areas that you're in right now, uh, and give us, give us a path to success that someone could take. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to mirror yours. It could be something you've kind of observed. Like what, What would a voice actor in training, you know, do or or someone who's, you know, 14, 15 years old, you know, riding skateboards right now thinking, geez, I would love to get into this entertainment business. You know, what what would you what path would you put them on? I would say that
2: you just got to start doing something, whatever it is that you're trying to pursue. So if that's Mm -hmm. voice acting, if that's filmmaking, if that's acting, anything, you just need to start doing doing it because a lot of people talk about how they want to do things like oh we should do this or Mm -hmm. I'm gonna oh I'm gonna do that and you spend all that time dreaming up these ideas that you never Mm -hmm. actually bring to to fruition so go out there make mistakes make your own voiceover demos if you're trying to be a voiceover like start working on your voices now record them make them really bad and then you know six months later after you go and you do some training you can come back to those and go oh my god 90% 90% of these were shit but 10% of that I can go back to that and, and reinvent that character that I was working on um, and you're making the mistakes yeah. early so that way when they count you know when you're trying to put yourself out there in front of people who are the gatekeepers you've mm-hmm. done you've, you've already made some of those mistakes that you don't have to, to replicate when you're spending money on making things professionally um, I think this applies mostly to indie filmmaking specifically where people don't sure make movies that you just got to go out there someone with a camera learn how to use the camera youtube tutorial the Mm -hmm. shit out of everything that is involved that's how i've done everything in my life is youtube just how to use photoshop adobe premiere Mm -hmm. adobe audition and just learn these skills that you can for free and quite frankly yeah if you know the basics you can do pretty much a majority of what people do professionally
1: yeah yeah, I always marvel at the fact that you could literally, like, I walk around with backpacks sometimes with my webcam, with my laptop, you know, with some lighting, and I, I, I joked when we did our live show at the comic book store uh, a few months ago, I said, this is, a, this is a portable production studio. Like, I'm literally just carrying around a production studio. Like, how crazy is that? Like, yeah. How far technology has come uh, yeah. where you can actually do that? It's, it's, it's insane. Tonight, we, we talked about Captain Marvel. Hmm. I haven't seen I it yet. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, I was going I was going to see if I can get your take on it. We'll, get, we'll we'll save it. We'll get your hot take on it. Saturday. I'm seeing it Saturday. But okay. I do see
2: right. every I see every Marvel and superhero movie, so.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we'll get your hot take another time. We're going we're yeah. doing our spoiler-filled episode tonight, so that's our that's our big our big jam. I'm excited
2: for it. Uh preemptively. I'm 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 excited for it. I I saw a picture online. I don't know. Is there a crossover from the other movies in this? There
1: is some scene, end scene credits that are absolutely uh, must watch. So stick around. The one at the very, very, very end. Uh, well, I think I saw it. Answered, it answered a good question for me too. Both both end credits are definitely uh, definitely worth it. Uh, yeah. Okay. We've got less than 30 seconds to go. Give us the rundown. Where can we find you and where can we find uh, Madonna and the Breakfast Club?
2: Go to at Madonna and the Breakfast Club on Instagram or it's M A T B C movie on Twitter. And me, you can do Paul Castro JR on everything. It's all consistent.
1: Paul, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you. We'll definitely have you on again uh tweet at us when you see captain marvel because i'm really really curious on your take as well i'll right, be sure when, to let you know when we come back chris Arendt from newsarama is going to be giving us the lowdown on the comics we need to be reading this week
0: spin the ride, spin the
1: <laughs> welcome back to secrets of the sire we do this every wednesday night 8 p.m eastern Streaming live from Sire Studios. I've got Newsorama's Chris Arendt. We finally got your name right after all these years. Uh, we're excited. <laughs> we're excited to have Chris on uh, at least once a month, giving us everything we need to know about the comic book world that these movies that you guys love are all based around. So, Chris, how's it going?
3: It's going great. Thanks for having me again, Michael.
1: I really appreciate it. All right. Uh, before we get into Captain Marvel, because that's the big, big story this week. That's uh, obviously what we're doing our whole show this week about. Um, tell us about the comic books announcements. You know, anything, anything in the comic book world that we should be aware of uh, that might
3: be pretty exciting for folks. Hmm. Uh, last week, uh, Scott Snyder, the writer of Justice League, broke with us at rama that he's working on. In addition to the DC's Year of the Villain line-wide event, he's also working on a storyline after that called uh, Justice Doom War, as in the Legion of Doom and Justice League having an event there, which people are excited about, especially because uh, last week, uh, a new Justice League team from the future uh, debuted. Um, there's been a various uh, Justice Leagues from the future before um, but this one uh designed by Jorge uh uh Jimenez, I'm I'm gonna mispronounce his name, um looks really amazing, kind of borrows from some of his Earth two designs from when he was on that series in twenty. Mm-hmm. Um I'm also this isn't comics, but it's comics related. Uh ABC has started casting for the Stump Town pilot. Okay. Um uh, Greg uh, Rucca and Matthew Southworth's 2009, Oni Press, a limited series. They're doing a pilot for that, with led by Kobe Smolders, who is a uh, Marie okay. from uh, all the Marvel movies. And they just hired uh, Michael Ealy. Reportedly, it hasn't been confirmed, but these kind of things, they're they're normally reported. And then a couple days later, the studios will officially confirm it. Um, I'm really ex- – like, I was a big fan of Stumptown, so I'm a big fan of what they could do here.
1: Very cool. So the big news, obviously, this week is Captain Marvel uh, coming out and is just obviously very tremendous and very um, – you know, it's huge, $400 million. Uh, What are the comics that folks need to read before they go in? to see this movie and what comics should they be reading after they come out
3: um if i had to pick just one comic that they should maybe just buy maybe have kind of on standby to read before it would be the recent life of captain marvel a limited series by margaret school carlos pacheco and marguerite uh uh, sauvage um carol's origin story has been told before a little bit here a little bit there a bounced between uh the previous Captain Marvel's book, the X-Men, and some uh, the Avengers and some other places but this kind of collects it all and gives it context and this is kind of instead of trying to hunt down in long boxes like maybe 20 issues that span over 30 years this is um it just came out in collection back in February it's the life of Captain Marvel with a great uh art germ co- uh cover this kind of has it all in one place with uh one uh Carlos does the uh current day artwork scenes and then marguerite does the the flashback scene that's really okay. good looking book and do they they really pull in the movie from these uh these books you think um i wouldn't say pull but they're kind of working off the same uh, marvel comics knows the version of the character that was going to appear in the movie so they kind of uh similar touchstones and they probably emphasize similar stuff the same way that iron man in comics started acting a little bit more like robert downing jr Sure, before the movie came out because they kind of knew what was coming and so they kind of wanted to kind of tilt it a, a certain way to have so so would it be some um, kind of continuity in terms of just feel with between the comics and the movies well, that makes a lot of sense DC is not to be
1: outdone. Obviously, I know Captain Marvel is obviously the big news, but Shazam is upcoming. Uh, what kind of DC books should we be zeroing in on? Maybe in anticipation for Shazam, or just in anticipation for Shazam, or just in general, uh, what you know, what's got the fans buzzing for DC right now?
3: Um, for the Shazam movie that's one of my long time's favorite the, and that was my dad like my dad grew up in the 1930s and 1940s and he was telling me about buying Captain Marvel comics back then I'm still uh, waiting for him to kind of sh- show me those comics so I can <laughs> But um, I've read since uh, Jeff Johns kind of co-wrote the script for the movie this is really pulls from his 2016-2017 Shazam backups from was oh, sorry. A uh, 2011, 2012 backups from the New 52 Justice League series, uh, written by him with art by Gary Frank. So, uh, several, like a hardcover and and a soft cover. That would probably be the number one thing. But number two, my personal favorite is the Jeff Smith. Oh, the Monster Society of Evil. That's kind of a perennial. Not if you're just a Captain Marvel or Shazam fan. I'm sorry, DC. But uh, if if, if, if you like good, fun superhero comics, like, um, like for older fans that like the nineteen seventy Superman movie, like this is... Jeff Smith, uh, Shazam, Elimna uh, series is the stuff. Uh, Jeff Smith is fantastic creator of Bone, obviously,
1: uh, for anyone who doesn't realize. It's actually really good segues to, as well. Uh, speaking of indie books, uh, you know what's the talk of the comic racks this week for indie
3: books? Um. I was recently at a convention in West Palm Beach, and me and uh, Donnie Cates were really talking up M- Ian uh, Bertram's upcoming Image comic series, A Little Bird. It's it's uh, written by Darcy Van Pol- Pol- Polgis It deb- uh, debuts, I believe, on the twentieth of March. Ian's a real uh, seems like a force of nature in terms of artwork. But um, I don't know if he'll ever be drawing Avengers or Justice League. That art style. You kind of don't need to. That uh, that art style is just amazing. I think people will really fall in love with that. He's done some independent work, but this is really his first book that's going to be available in most every comic stores and will be in Comicsology too. Um, also, uh, speaking once again of Greg uh, Rucka from Stumptown, uh, his series uh, Lazarus with Michael Lark returned this month with a new a limited series called Risen. Okay. Switching into the kind of the Hellboy format where it's a series of limited series instead of a ongoing with a big pause in between I'm, I'm really excited about the return of uh, Lazarus for
1: that. Very, very Well, there's something
3: uh, <laughs> Very punny
1: about that, isn't there? Uh, the return of Lazarus um, yeah. Real quick before we let you go. Give us Chris's picks period What are your picks uh, for the next the next either either out before or coming up in the next couple weeks, because we're not going to have you on for another couple weeks.
3: Um, if you're listening to this podcast today on uh, Wednesday, there's a new DC one-shot called The Grim Knight. That's uh, Scott Snyder, James the IV, and Eduardo uh, Riso's uh, drastically different version of Batman. I interviewed James earlier this week, and he kind of gave me the rundown. That's going to be uh, up on the site this week. It's what if when Bruce Wayne's parents were shot down in crime alley what if Bruce Wayne knocked the gun out of the assassin's hand and shot the assassin back like what ah. uh, what kind of Batman would that be one that's not afraid to use guns that's not afraid to kill people uh, personally I'm against guns but this, there, there is a sort of escapism of a kind of direct uh, retribution that can be had with some uh, morality like the Netflix Punisher series and sure excited for that because he says it's a 28 page um, issue and they're kind of going to revisit classic moments in Batman continuity but from the skewed take of Batman wasn't afraid to kill like one of the things he, he uh, brings up is Batman here doesn't have that much of a rogues gallery because when he fights him he pretty much kills him so
1: so it's like what if Punisher is wearing the Batman costume and going out mm-hmm.
3: doing what he needs to do yeah that could be it uh <laughs> really excited i'm I'm a big art fan if you can't tell uh david marquez is an unbelievable doing, artist he's one he's my he's one of, he's on my top five list period yeah people just uh i think years from now people are going to realize like how good we had it that david marquez was doing mo- a monthly comic but he's amazing Avengers r- right now leading up to war of the realms and i'm really just like even if you don't want to follow the event storyline if you just like comic art you can uh, spend the $3.99, the four ninety nine, dollars and buy those books and really just enjoy the artwork. Very, very cool. Chris Arendt, as always, a pleasure having you on. Tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, I'm every day at uh, newsarama.com as the editor with Mike and George uh, Vanetta, and a few other people. I'm also on Twitter at chrisarendt.com. Um, those are the two main places that you can find me. I'm always open to talk to people about comics, about getting into comics, be it uh, working in comics, reading comics. I just love to talk about comics. I'm going to be at uh, C2E2 uh, later this month and uh, I'm looking forward to meeting new people there as well.
1: Well, you will definitely have to stop by the Sire Studios booth, uh, which is booth 106 at C2E2. It'll be a pleasure to uh, meet you again in person. So Chris, thank you for joining us. What a great show we had. I want to thank our guests, Paul Castro Jr. I want to thank Chris Aaron from Newsarama. I want to thank Hassan for not being violently, violently ill. Next week on Secrets of the Sire. I want to thank my
0: stomach.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank everyone. And imagine, I want to thank the Academy. No, next week on Secrets of Mm -hmm. the Sire, it is time for our March Madness. We are pitting 16 out of 21 of the MCU films against each other. March Madness bracket style. We are going to seed the tournament next week. We're also going to welcome Devil's Dues, Josh Blaylock, previewing C2E2, the unofficial kickoff to the convention season.
0: Secrets of the Sun.